Yes, but on Crockett Island, is the help you really need or want? We'll have to see. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Forever Fangirls podcast. I am Sheila Amato and you can find me and my wife on Twitter at Forever Fan Pod. And I am Kimberly Amato and you can also find us on our website, foreverfangirls.com or on Instagram at Forever Fan Pod. We are your hosts and we're glad you can join us. And as you heard from our intro, we will be discussing the latest project from Mike Flanagan, Midnight Mass. And as always, our discussion will have spoilers, so if you have not seen it yet on Netflix, please pause us and then come back to listen to our discussion. We don't want to spoil you. Okay, so there's our banter music. Yep. Um, so you know my favorite ho- holiday is Halloween, right? Yeah, because you like the candy. Well, no. Well, um, yes, I do like <laughs> the candy. I'm not wrong. <laughs> no, you're not wrong. But I much prefer being able to dress up. Yes, and this year, we are actually going to be celebrating Halloween by watching a football game in Buffalo between our friend Suzanne's Buffalo Bills mm-hmm. and my Miami Dolphins. Yes. Who are not playing well this year. Well, I was going to say, the only thing that would make it better is that if we were watching the 49ers, but I'm not going to go there. Anyway. Yuck, yuck, haha. At least we'll be in costume. Yes, we will be in costume. And speaking of scary Halloween-like events, how about we start discussing Midnight Mass? Okay. All right. Yeah, we have a lot to discuss. So, um, Midnight Mass is the latest TV miniseries. Mini- yes, I can talk today. You sure? Uh, you were just no. thinking about all the Halloween candy. I am. So, <clears throat> let me start again. Midnight Mass is the latest TV miniseries from creator, writer, producer, director Mike Flanagan, who also brought us The Haunting of Bly Manor and The Haunting of Hill House. Midnight Mass dropped on Netflix on September 24th, 2001. 2021, and, not 2001. That would have been a oh, long time ago. Went, I can't. I, I, I'm. I'm. Yeah. September 24th, 2021. 2021. Mm. All right. Uh, you better take it from here. Read the story. <laughs> All right. So on IMDb, the summary is listed as follows. The tale of a small isolated community. Ooh, I, see, you're screwing me up already. I'm like following your path there. You're rubbing off of me. You're no? welcome. What can I say? We have a lot to do. I can't do that. Mm -mm. Okay. The tale of a small, isolated island community whose existing divisions are amplified by the return of a disgraced young man and the arrival of a charismatic priest. When Father Paul's appearance on Crockett Island coincides with unexplained and seemingly miraculous events, a renewed religious fervor takes hold of the community. But do these miracles come at a price? Yes, they do. Indeed, <laughs> because there's no there's no such thing as a free lunch, no. right? So, um, but yeah. So usually I will, you know, give a little bit more in depth, like you know, uh, preview of what happened. But because we have so much to discuss here, I'm going to skip over this and let's jump right into the good. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So for me, the the first thing that really hit me, like in that opening sequence of of the first episode 
is that the titles of each of the episodes are actually, they, they reference the Bible, the books in the Bible. Mm-hmm. And it really provides a roadmap of what will happen, right? And it seemed like the, four, the first four episodes are from the Old Testament, mm-hmm. and then the last three are from the New Testament, and it's just it's it's so it's so brilliant the way he did it. I, I just there's no other word for me to explain it other than that. No, it's it's genius. It gives you the it it reminds me a lot of Warrior Nun where they give you like um a specific Bible uh, verse. Bible verse and you reference it and then you're like, Oh hey, and that reference is yep yeah, mm-hmm. it's brilliant the way this is done. Right. And so, you know, let's start with Genesis. You wanna you wanna just jump right into like each thing, yeah. starting like each episode? Yeah. All so, right, so Old Testament, go. Yeah. So in Genesis, right, it's the beginning. We see how Riley ended up in jail and it sets up the relationships for everyone on the island. Um and so that that really is the foundation for everything else that happens in the story. Yeah, I mean, it's the beginning of so many different things. You would figure they would start at the beginning as like the beginning of time or whatever, but it really was the beginning of Riley's downfall. Or his transformation. But either way, it's the beginning of he did something wrong. I mean, the opening scene is the car accident. Yes. And he sees her, like all of a sudden the light starts flashing and he just sees her, the victim, standing in the corner with glass all over her face. I mean, she is what he saw it's his nightmare. It's it's his it's his guilt mm-hmm. and his nightmare and it's it's manifesting in a visual state. Yeah. So it's the beginning of that. Yeah. And we also see a young man, right, dragging this crate into his dwelling. Like we don't know who this who this guy is, but we do know that there's something in that crate because it like hit the <laughs> the, the Well, top yeah, of it. he knocks on it and then it's like, you know, you ever heard that dun 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 dun, dun boom boom where you'd like knock on the, or, well, my brothers and I used to knock on the doors like, dun, 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 dun. And if you oh, were inside, you would knock it. back, bum, mm-hmm. bum. Yeah. So yeah, that was like, oh, and what was the first thing I said to you when that happened? I actually don't remember. I looked at you and went, vampire. And you went, no, what are you talking about? I was like, no, it's vampires. <laughs> it's got to be vampires. Why, why would you drag a crate? Uh, see, this is why I do not like watching things with you sometimes. But you ignored me on that one. You're I like, did. Yeah, I don't think so. So okay, so that's so that's the first uh, that's the first chapter, if you will. And so episode two is Psalms, and you know, in the 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 book in the Bible is actually it's rich in images, simile, and metaphor. Episode one actually ended with the cats on the beach, and then episode two continues that right. Mm-hmm. And so it's like the it's like a foreshadowing of what's going to happen. All the cats are dead, bloodless on the beach. And then I'm I'm like, really? Bloodless on the beach? And then I looked at you like, yeah. really? I don't like you. But I remember when they said, you know, somebody just, they abandoned the cats there. Mm-hmm. So the cats basically, you know. They multiplied and they're. They multiplied. Now there's no other food. So they kind of are, I guess you could assume they're cannibalistic, I guess, because there's only birds and there's some fish, but it's not like they can swim. Well, but they can they can try to catch the birds and they can well, try yeah, to catch but they rats. can catch rats and they can catch each other. Mm-hmm. So they've been abandoned and I, I kept looking at you going, but they're abandoned. They're abandoned. They're stuck there. They're yeah. stuck in the middle. And you were like, what, what and then they're bloodless and you're like Ugh. Yeah. So anyway. You're unhappy with me. I, I was. But the the other thing that also started happening here is that you know people started to 
like lose their ailments, right? Yeah. Annie, Riley's mom, started to be able to see without her glasses. And Ed, Riley's dad, had really bad back problems. And then uh, all of a sudden he doesn't. This is also the episode where we see Lisa in the first episode where she's in the wheelchair. And now, because of a miracle, she is able to walk. We should also bring in that Riley sees this lanky character in a trench coat and a hat that he swears is Monsignor Pruitt, who is somewhere supposedly on the mainland recovering from dementia or an illness or whatever. And he chases after this thing, I believe at the very end of episode one, one, Mm -hmm. with this ungodly speed. So we've been introduced now to a guy showing up with a trunk, a trunk that's answering back, a creature in Monsignor Pruitt's clothing, Mm -hmm. dead cats, and miracles. Mm -hmm. We are not in Kansas anymore. No, we're not. We're in Crockett Island. (laughs) (laughs) Dun, dun, dun. And you know, you know what I have to say to that? What? Your emergency button? My emergency button. Because right there, my first thought would be like, get the hell off the island. <laughs> and yeah. we're only two episodes in. I know. But I mean, you know, in a small island where all of them are most, most of them, the majority of them are devout Catholics, you know, they're just like, oh, it's a miracle. You know, they're, they're looking at the. The There's good side of it. Dead cats all up and down. This isn't locusts, you know, and, and even still, if there was, this is a sign, <laughs> you know, <laughs> there are all of these things that are in the Bible about, you know, the water and the locusts and, and all of this stuff. If you see it coming, run. Mm. Well, if it happens in real life, then yes, we will. Run. <laughs> all right. So that, moving right along. Yes. That was episode two. So episode three is Proverbs, which in the Bible is, you know, wisdom and knowledge. Mm-hmm. And here is actually, and, you know, it, it really does highlight how Beverly Keen, the town bully, if you will. I think she's a bully anyway. Um, no, she's more than a bully. She's a psychopath. Well, yeah. Um, she actually uses all types of information to her advantage, right? Mm-hmm. She was actually the first one who realizes that Father Paul is really the Monsignor John Pruitt. She just kept that to herself and was trying to figure out how she could manipulate that information to her benefit mm-hmm. and to start to control uh, all of the other townspeople even more. Yeah. She's a piece of work. Mm. Yeah. So anyway, that's that's Beverly. And then this is also the the episode where Father Paul starts getting sick. And he eventually dies, right? He dies in front of Beverly, Wade, Dolly, and Sturge, right? Yep. Wade and, and Dolly are um, Lisa's parents. Yep. And he's dead for like three minutes and then is resurrected. And then this is where he starts turning into a vampire because I guess he, he drank too much of the sacrament. Was it ever made clear why he died or what caused him to die not here and i wasn't sure if it was because you know technically he is like in his 80s maybe maybe it was natural like his natural human self finally croaked i don't want to say it's a bad that's why it's not listed there it was Mm -hmm. just a bit of a hmm? 
Um, was it the buildup of the blood of the sacrament in his system that finally, because it took over, it, it maybe was, he had reached, maybe there's like a little line and he knew how much sacrament they were getting and he was going to get that line and then they'd have to choose to die or, you know, whatever. Right. It, I mean, it's, it's not overly significant, I guess. No, but it is where Beverly actually did see, okay, once you die and you have the sacrament in you, that's when you turn. Yeah, but I'm saying in general of seeing um, how Pruitt ended up passing, I don't think it's overly like, oh my God, it destroys the story. It's just a little like question mark for me, like a little loophole, I guess. Yeah. And maybe I'm missing it. Maybe somebody out there knows and they'll, they'll let us know via Twitter or SpeakPipe or whatever. You know, please let us know if you if you saw something we didn't in that regard and I missed it. Right. And I think in this in this episode is where, you know, we actually find out what really happened to him mm-hmm. and how how he became younger. Mm-hmm. Right. And that uh, that he in Damascus, he he lost his way and he really was very sick. Well, he was suffering from dementia. Yeah. And the townspeople sent him over there anyway. They sent him away. They knew he was suffering from dementia. You don't send someone away especially with how they were describing how bad he was. Well, they they had rumors, right? But they didn't have... But Beverly knew. Beverly knew. And, and she sent him anyway. That's what I mean. She is manipulating all of the information in order to... But then the question bodes here, is this the first inkling we have of Beverly considering taking over the church? Oh, she's, she's always wanted to do but that. But I'm saying, is this the first time we've been shown... Beyond just the fact that I, I don't remember what episode it is where they, and I don't, I, forgive me, I don't remember if you bring up it in the notes of her uh, telling everybody to take the buyouts. Oh, no, but that is, um, I believe, in the next episode. Okay, well, she convinces everybody to take the buyouts and then give, you know, to the church and then the church built a rec center. Mm-hmm. And in in that's like the second inkling of you see where Beverly wants to kind of be she is dictator. Con- yeah, she is. Of the island. Yeah. Because she thinks that she is better than everybody else. Yeah. Now, the the most powerful scene in this episode to me, because we did see that Lisa you know, started walking in the previous episode, mm-hmm. right? That she actually goes to visit Joe in his trailer. Every time I think about that scene, I actually start tearing up. Because, you know, he was a drunk. He made a... He made a terrible mistake. Yep. Right? He made a terrible choice. And he and Lisa in her monologue says, You you robbed me of everything that I am and what I could have been. Mm-hmm. And I'm very angry with you. But even so, she chooses to forgive him because she realizes, and again, you know, that this is um Proverbs, right? It's mm-hmm. wisdom. She had the wisdom to realize that if she didn't forgive him, she couldn't move on. It would eat her alive. Hate would would devour her. Hate would devour her. And she also realized that he was holding himself back. No one else was, Mm -hmm. right? And he was self-sabotaging. He was drunk all the time and didn't care about anybody or anything. He couldn't even look at her. Right. And the only, the only, he was the town pariah and the only thing or yeah the only thing that was next to him or that was always loyal to him was his dog pike Mm -hmm. right and so that was just a very 
oh, it was such a gut-wrenching scene to me. Yeah, you, you and I both were crying during it because in some way, what this episode shows us is that you can hold yourself back. She forgave regardless because she knew her life had been permanently altered and she needed to move on. And by doing so, she had to give him forgiveness. And by doing that, he forgave himself. Right. It was the thing that he needed in order to move yeah. on. Yeah. And he, he broke down crying. Like when, yeah. when she knocked on the door and he opened it, he goes flying back in his RV or his camper to the, to the cabinet. Yeah. Like you see, he's terrified of her. Right. Because she is the same as Riley, the, the dead girl. She is his guilt manifested, you know? Yeah. You know, this also highlights how a true Christian should act, right? Not someone like Beverly who remembers every single line of the Bible but doesn't really understand the meaning of it. So you have the juxtaposition of Beverly and Lisa, and Lisa embodies what a true Christian should be. And she also has, if you think about it, Monsignor Pruitt gets up, Beverly starts spouting off whatever verses she has memorized, which Mm -hmm. I'm sure she's probably memorized the entire Bible. Mm -hmm. When Lisa goes to talk to Joe, she speaks from the heart. Right. She knows, she knows this, like she, she knows the verses, she knows what they mean, but she's speaking for herself. Yes, exactly. Whereas Beverly is just a puppet. Well, she's manipulating everything. But, but she's speaking but yes. like she's a puppet. She's just reciting things. Yeah. Uh, okay. So anything anything more well, about... And, and right after that, I just want to throw in, you know, because yeah. you do it on the notes. Right after that, Joe forgives himself and he starts attending AA meetings. Oh, and yes. he and Riley start helping each other. Yes. And when he says, does it get any better? Riley's honest and says, no. No. Because you're you're, all, you're, you're, you're this changed. way for life. Yeah. This is who you are for life. You made your mistakes for life. But you learn to live with it. You learn to forgive yourself enough to move on, but you never forget because you don't ever want to go back there. Right. And you know, th- this is actually the first time that we also see the humanity in Joe because mm-hmm. he was saying that you know the only other person who really cared about him was his sister. And she passed a few months back. And he, could, he couldn't be there because he, his whole family didn't want him there or something like that. Well, or, I don't he, remember exactly. He could not bring himself to go off the island yeah. because of everything that happened. Yeah. So now that he he's able to go, it's too late. Mm-hmm. And again, that's another heartbreaking thing. Well, yeah. He held that that's why I, the, this whole episode to me was about forgiving yourself. Because if you can forgive yourself, the barriers you put in your way emotionally and mentally, no, they they don't necessarily go away, but they're manageable. Yeah. The next episode is Lamentations. Oh, okay. So this is where um, Erin Green, right? She had run away because she had an abusive alcoholic mother. And so she went and lived her life. She herself got into drugs and alcohol and all of that. And then, you know, in, in one of the episodes, I don't remember which one it was, she said that she ended up marrying her mother. Mm-hmm. Right? So she married an abusive man she happened to get pregnant, and so that's why she came back to the island. She, she said the baby saved her life. The baby saved her life. This is the episode where she actually found out that the baby's gone. Right? Yeah, and not like stillborn. 
just gone. gone. Like no evidence ever. Even when she went to the mainland, there's no evidence whatsoever right. that she was pregnant at all in any of her blood work. Right. And so it's just like missing. Yeah. The the thing that saved her life is now gone. Mm-hmm. And, and she stopped going to church during she, this point. Yes. Because she couldn't understand what was going on. And she had, she needed time to grieve because she couldn't understand why this was happening. Again, that whole, that whole scene with her and with Riley was just heartbreaking to me mm-hmm. because she was also then talking about how her mother basically said, you are the reason why my life ended. That Aaron was the one who clipped her mom's wings. For a child, for a seven-year-old child to hear that, I can't even imagine. It's horrible. It's like it's a parent shouldn't say that to their kid. No. And then she goes into the story of the doves and the clipping of the doves wings and and how she felt the heartbeat of one. And the one she was holding and she felt it and she felt it was real and innocent and she just let it go, let it go. And she got beat horribly for it. But she chose to let it have a life and not be clipped. Yeah. And stuck. Yeah. And in this same conversation that she's having with Riley, right? Riley then tells her that he he fears that he's never getting off the island because of what he's done, mm-hmm. right? He Because he killed that girl in the car crash while he was drunk, he lost everything. And he just, his life is forever changed. Yeah, and he doesn't feel that he is capable of building that life again. Yeah. I, I guess give credit to Riley here, right? He he actually understands that he made a very egregious mistake. Yeah. And that that's why he's carrying the guilt. And you know what's funny is when he's saying he, that he's probably never leaving the island. You know, he's lost everything. He's probably going to just be... It's not that he's... In my opinion, I don't feel like he was going, wham, wham, poor pitiful me. I felt like he was saying... This is my penance. This is where... And I'm accepting I'm it. I'm accepting it. This is what I'm going to live. I'm lucky to be living. Yeah. I'm lucky to have what I have. Yep. And again, that was my interpretation of it, if I'm wrong, or if, if someone well, disagrees. Yeah. And, you know, we, we can have that discussion in in our Twitter accounts and all of that good stuff. Yep. Right. What, what got me most, though, this whole episode, um, and I know there's more in here, but the discussion of death... Mm. because I've always agreed with Riley Mm. that everything is biological. It is a very, very difficult um, topic to talk about because it is, it is hard to try to, to just wrap your brain around it. Right. And, and I guess that's why people turn to different things. People turn to religion to try to make sure that when they do pass, there's something there after so, you know, I, I I hope that it is what Riley said, where you just dream. Yeah, I I hope so, too. So, speaking about Riley, um, the other scene that really got me was that scene on the boat with Ed and Riley, right? Where Ed is actually trying to talk to Riley and explain why he is the way he is. And it was almost like a backwards compliment type thing. You know, it's like it was very hard for him to try to even have this conversation. But he got through it and wanted to tell Riley that you're my son. I love you. I don't understand you. Yeah, it was it was you. his way of just accepting 
Riley as he was now. You know, I guess in his way of, I don't want to say forgiveness because he, he, he wasn't really forgiving him per se. But he was just accepting Riley as he was, that he can't change him, that he's his son. He has to love him and just accept his path. Well, I think that Ed is lamenting the the lack of a relationship that he he had with Riley. Yeah, it it seemed to me anyway that he's trying to build a relationship because he never had one. So he's lamenting the fact that that was never there. Yeah, I can see that. I can also see it as being. He was mentioning, you know, you're always too good for your dad. You were too good for me. Yeah. Too good for this place. Part of me wonders if that was Ed projecting. And maybe he's just letting that go. Yeah. You know, and saying, you know what? All of this stuff is not worth it. He's my son. Right. And that's what happened during the middle of the episode. And then towards the end of the episode. Well, Monsignor Pruitt lies to Riley and Riley knows it. Right, because, and the reason why Monsignor Pruitt, a.k.a. Father Paul, um, lied to Riley is because Joe did not show up to the AA meeting, mm-hmm. right? And that, and that is because Father Paul killed him because he was so hungry, he had to eat. Yep, and Joe was alive while he's eating. I know, oh my God, that's wound. Oh, and you know what's oh. funny is, I just kept thinking, I wonder if he was dreaming of his dog. Oh, wow. Well, to me, the, when, when it first happened, when he you know, first laid there and his head was starting to bleed, and he was actually looking at Father Paul licking his blood, he was like, what are you doing? Like that, mm-hmm. that questioning. Yep. Like, why aren't you helping me? Yep. And then, you know, in the next scene where you just see father paul going to town it's like uh oh my god father paul had to then basically cover his tracks right and lie to riley Mm -hmm. and because riley and joe had that bond he he knew that father paul was was lying to him just just call him on senior pruitt because you're i keep getting messed up here well i yeah i know they're one in the same but just for me okay fine monsignor pruitt yeah because he said that joe went to see his sister and you know, Riley's and like, Riley knew. wait a minute. Yeah, Riley knew sister was already dead. So there's no way. Riley makes the choice to, instead of seeing Aaron that same night, mm-hmm. he went to the rectory, to the rec center, mm-hmm. to confront Monsignor Pruitt. And that's where the angel got him. Ugh. And Riley, as we know, it is no more. Right. And I... I I told you that when he was headed there, it's like, oh my God, he's going to die. And you said, well, he can't. He's a main character. And he technically didn't. He didn't, but he died as a human. He left his, his human side and was transformed into this vampire thing. I, I wasn't, hmm, I, I wasn't like when I saw the angel attack and then it kind of goes dark, I wasn't overly freaked out about it because, like I said, he was a, a higher end character. Mm-hmm. So he had more of a purpose, but... Mm-hmm. Now that you bring it up into the things, you know, it's like you, you even say it here in the New Testament after Riley dies. Right. So this was all like BC and then, you know, AC, AD. AD. Yes. When I, when I first was writing the script, I'm like, oh, are, are they talking about Monsignor Pruitt? And then I realized, no, it, it wasn't him. It yeah, because Riley. Riley really is the beginning of the end of the island. Yeah. 
in this section. When we flip over, he's the reason the resistance begins. He's the reason people start standing up. And it's not because they're following a false prophet. They're trying to do the right thing. They're trying to do the right thing, and they're looking for answers and information. Yep. So, all right. So, should we just go into the New Testament side then? Yes. Okay. Let's go for so, it. Ep- uh, episode five. It's the gospel. We are seeing more and more of the villagers, like Millie, is getting younger and younger because she got a lot of the sacrament, right? Because yeah, he personally brought it to her. Yes, because. He wanted her to live. And I, at first when we were watching this, I'm like, why why her? What is going on here? There's, there's got to be a connection. And then later on we find out. But Yeah, I'll be honest. It was one of the things I did not pick up on. <gasps> I did not. I did not pick up on it. Wow. I know. What is happening here? Very disturbed with myself. <laughs> um, okay, so then, you know, all of these little miracles continue to happen. But on the island, people have gone missing and people have been right. eaten. Right. And so the drug dealer, Bull, his mother is trying to you know, file a missing, person, missing persons report, but no one is like really paying attention because he's the town drug dealer, mm-hmm. right? They've abandoned him. Yeah. They abandoned the cats. Yeah. The sheriff is trying to, to figure this out and starts, you know, doing that and then in the meantime Aaron is also she also went to the sheriff's office to say I think Riley is missing yeah because something's not right something's not right and so you know the, the whole day happens and Aaron is asleep on the couch and then she hears a knock on the door and who is it it's Riley and this is where Riley takes her on a boat and then tells her exactly everything that happened and let's just trigger go back because he said his dream when they slept in the same bed just holding each other was different because this time his dream she erin was on the boat with him with him during the sunrise but he can't get to the sunrise right but it's also one of those indicators and little things of you get information given to you in a certain way right the universe does not lie yeah so he was always by himself, and then as he was rekindling his relationship with Aaron, and so she felt a little betrayed because he was supposed to he was supposed to be there the night before, yeah, right, and he wasn't, and so he's explaining himself now, and so well, he takes her out on the boat way right. out into the water, way, right, way out like into the his water. dreams, right, and so starts telling her what happened the night before. So he basically was turned, mm-hmm. right? And the whole scene with Monsignor Pruitt, you know, giving Riley, quote, the gospel, right? Because this is a gift. Yeah. And that he found the angel. He found the angel. It was something that, that they, needed, they needed to pray so that they can, they can change the things that they could and accept the things that they couldn't. And he was trying to get him to eat. They even brought in Sturge and Bev, and Sturge like opened up his arm for him, and he refused to eat. At first. He, yeah, at first. And then he ate because he had to, and then he realized what he was. Yeah. And Bev wants to lock him up. Bev wants to lock him up because she hates Riley. Yeah. And why was he given the gift? Yeah. But the idea is she still wants to lock him up. 
Yeah. Until he can fully understand the gift he has been bestowed. Right. And Pruitt says no. Let him go. Yeah, because Monsignor Pruitt thinks that Riley is actually on his side. Yeah, he thinks he'll come around. He just needs a little bit of time. And we see Riley walking around, taking in everything, seeing the world in a new way. Yeah, because and now he can see how the lights are are different mm-hmm. and how he can see things a lot differently than he used to. And he struggles with pain. Because he's hungry and he does not want to hurt anybody else. Yeah. So he takes Erin on the boat, tells her the whole story, and she doesn't, you could see it kind of doesn't believe him. Right. I mean, the the thing that really got me before we go there is that Pruitt was actually telling him, I killed Joe, right? I'm being honest with you. I killed Joe. And he felt Joe, no remorse. And he felt no remorse. He kept prodding Riley. How does that make you feel? Because he knew Riley was carrying this huge guilt about killing that girl in the car crash. And you know, it took him a while, but he eventually said, yes, I'm jealous. I'm jealous that you don't feel that guilt. Yeah. And, and it just... It just adds to that Riley really is a very a very good person. Yeah, and, and it also goes to Monsignor Prout is losing his humanity. Yeah, yes. He's become something else. I mean, we know it's a vampire, but he's become this thing, and nothing will get in his way. Yeah, he still believes that this is a gift, that it should be shared yeah. with the congregation. And he makes that choice for everyone. Yes. Exactly. So, and so, but then we get back to the boat. We get back to the boat. And actually, I thought at this point, I thought Riley was actually going to turn Aaron. And I told you I didn't think so because he loved her too much. He cared about her too much. And the guilt of killing someone already weighed on him so much. I didn't think that he wanted to add to it. Yeah. And that's that's also how... Um, how I started to, to see that after you had said that, because then she started to say, I am not afraid of you. Mm-hmm. I will help you. What is it that you need? And so, you know, she got everything that Riley was trying to do. And then Riley just corrected her for that one thing. It's not that you can't run away. It's that so I could not run away. Yeah. He did not have the, the courage to, to kill Confront himself. Her. Yeah. He, well, he also didn't have the courage to, I think, tell her the truth of everything because he'd always been hiding. He said, I'm a coward. So he'd always been hiding. And here he has to bear everything. He has to make amends. Remember, he kept saying, yeah. Monsignor Pruitt said, I should write my letters because I can't confront people. I always run away. Right. This way, he, he has to confront her and he has to tell her and he has to ask her to leave, to leave the island and never come back. Right. He's telling her all of this stuff. And he's saying he made amends. He wrote his letters to his people. It's like he's done everything. And in some way, he ran away from the letters into the water. He is at peace and he's waiting for the sunrise. But I also think that the reason why he's on that boat is because if he's not, right, if he's on land, he will try to find shelter so that he doesn't burn. I don't know. I, I, don't, I, I don't know. I think for me, it's also a way to isolate Aaron because Aaron could have slammed the door in his face. Aaron could have denied it and he would have been in front of everybody burning it's it's more powerful to take her away, take her out where he can't run away from her, where he has to tell her the truth, 
and, and she can't run away from him. She can't run away or slam the door in his face or or tell him whatever and ignore him and then he burns. I mean, and the way they did that where he closes his eyes as the sun comes up and next thing you know he's in the boat. It's very peaceful. It's very peaceful. It's a dream and the girl is not hurt. Yeah. She is restored to to her before the crash and she actually uh Welcomes reaches him. reaches out her hand yeah. to grab his. And then right after that, we are hit with screaming yeah. of Aaron staring at the burning remnants of right. Riley. Yeah. Oh, God, that scream. Yeah. So imagine that shock, right? So that's how, that's how episode five ends. And then we go to episode six where or we're seeing the two camps, you know, uh, really form, right? Yeah. We have the ones that follow uh, Monsignor Pruitt. And because our, they're all looking for their own miracles. Exactly. And then we have the rebels who are trying to save everybody who are... They're questioning. Who, who don't know, you know, what they're in for. And, you know, they keep saying, yes, there's going to be another miracle, another miracle. You know, and they've been seeing all these good miracles. And now the masses have been moved to midnight. Yeah. Um, and... You know, there's there's that scene in this in this episode where they they light candles and they go from from house to house to house to gather everybody to go to the church. Mm-hmm. And you actually mentioned it. You know, it's like lambs to a slaughter. And I was I was thinking it, and yep. then you said it. I'm like, get out of my head. It, it's and the thing is, if you think of all the big cults, that's you know, how it is, yeah. that's how it is. They are singing, they're dancing, and then they're drinking you know, poisoned Kool-Aid. Right. And unbeknownst to them, right, the right-hand people of Monsignor Pruitt, they've disabled the boats, they're cutting the power, and then eventually they're going to cut the cell tower Mm -hmm. so that they're going to be really isolated and cannot leave the island. Yep. Until the, quote, transformation, miracle, whatever, happens. They've given themselves complete, total, full, Control. control. Yep. And, you know, when the massacre happens and um, Riley's parents are trying to get away because they're like, no, we're not going to drink the Kool-Aid, mm-hmm. right? They they tried to go to the back of the church to escape it. And Riley's father, Ed, got caught and he was pushing everybody else, go, go, go. And so it was Aaron. It was Sarah. It was the sheriff. Mm-hmm. And then the two kids, right? There were five of them who who was able to go back to the, the back of the church. And there, who do they see there? Who was hiding? Who was hiding? Bev. Because oh. she's a coward. Yeah. And she was like, uh, not me. I do have what she said. What are you going to do? Shoot me? Because it'll be up five minutes later. Aaron's like, sure. Bang. <laughs> yeah. It was like, didn't even flinch. Like, yeah. I was like, yes. That leads us into revelations. Yep. And so this is the final be- the final battle between good and evil, right? And we actually find here that Ali, who was turned, Ali is the sheriff's son, mm-hmm. and Ed, right, he was also turned. They actually were resisting the urge to kill. Everybody else was going like hog wild and killing everybody in sight. Mm-hmm. But they were just walking and and watching everybody else, but they were not participating. And I thought that that was that was a very that was a very critical point to make that they were tr- they were still being true to themselves. 
Well, even um, Ed says that it's so painful. It's so deep inside you and it's so overwhelming, but he just thought about other things and he found a way to focus around it and you can, you can pass it. You can, it's not perfect, but you can handle it. Right. Right. You don't have to do this. And again, it's a choice. Yeah. It's a choice. It was a choice to take it. It was a choice to take the rat poison and die. It was a choice to take the sacrament. It's a choice to follow everything in this entire series has been about choices. Yeah. And what the ramifications of those choices are mm-hmm. and whether or not you accept it or you, you know, scream and not and yeah. hide like a coward. One of the big scenes here to me is the mother who, Annie, mm-hmm. who's a very devout Christian, uh, Catholic, when she's trying to save Warren and all the other kids and Lisa and all the others, she is confronting Bev to give them time to 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 leave Mm -hmm. and here again is a is another it's another good example of what it means to really love someone else that you're sacrificing yourself to give them a chance at life yeah and the fact that she confronted bev and actually told her you are not a good person Mm -hmm. and we knew this but no one else had the courage no one had the the chutzpah to say anything to her yeah and it's just it I love that scene. Yeah. And the fact that, you know, when when they said, Okay, she's stalling, when Bev said she's stalling, go go look around the back, she then distracts them by killing herself. Yep. I actually did not expect that. It made sense though, because she knew they were monsters. They were attracted to blood. They can't they can't get over it because they don't have the strength or the willpower. Yeah. And I think they did talk about it in the house because when Aaron was giving everybody like a, a knife, right? They're like what is What are this do? It's not yeah. for them. And he actually said, What what is this going to do? They just get up again. Mm-hmm. Right? And it, that's I think when she realized, no, it's not for them. It's for me. Mm-hmm. It's to, I kinda picked up on that. I, I didn't until that next scene. Yeah, because if it's it's kind of like the zombies, you know, you, you only have to outrun whoever's next to you when zombies are chasing you, that type yeah. of thing. So it's the same premise. Yeah. If you can distract all of them by cutting yourself and sacrificing yourself so the children specifically can get away. Yeah. Because even Aaron was going to the door and, and he's like, no, you get out of here. You take them and you go. Yeah. Let me do this. Because I think she also realized at that point, Aaron was trying to save them earlier and she rejected it. Yep. And so now she's she's taking This is her it. way of taking forgiving herself yeah. and asking Aaron's forgiveness and saying, Let me do this. You save my son. Just yeah. like you saved my eldest son. Yeah. Because in some way Aaron did. Yeah. Take care of my son for me. Yeah. And then she sacrificed herself and thus accepting her spot and her guilt, yeah. if you will, with everything. Yeah. And so this this episode also shows this is where we find out why he was so connected to Millie and to Sarah. They they alluded to this in in one of the earlier episodes that, you know, the, the Monsignor really wasn't um celibate. Right? So nope. so there were rumors that were going around that he he had an affair. He broke his vows. He mm-hmm. violated his vows to the church. And he did. It was actually with Millie, who happened to be married to someone else. And John and Millie had a daughter, Sarah. 
Yeah. And so the reason why he brought the angel to Crockett Island was so that he could save her because she was dying of dementia. And that to me was just like, oh man, you condemned everybody on the island for your misguided... For your own desires. Yeah. Seven deadly sins. Ah, yeah, yeah. And you know, Bev becomes judge, jury, and executioner and decides, because she then decides let's burn the whole island because the resistance burned all the boats so they can't get off in the morning. Right. Um, or get off the island, rather. Um, Bev decides, oh, you know, you didn't start showing up to church until you started seeing all of this stuff and started hearing the miracles. I don't think I've ever seen. So you know what? No, you can't come in. You can't stay in the rec center. Yeah, well, it's all about power mm-hmm. for her. And so that's the reason why she burned every every house so that everybody, everybody would have to had come. to come yep. there. And she started making decisions. And then when Monsignor Pruitt said, everybody is welcome in my church. You can stay in my church. Yeah. And then Sarah ends up dying. Yeah. And Sturge. when he goes to turn her, she spits the blood out. She doesn't want it. When um, uh, the sheriff is shot because he's, you know, throwing gasoline on the outside of the building. And like, you should, you know, you came back here alone. He's like, but am I? And yeah. then you see Aaron come out after pouring gasoline all inside the rec center. Yep. And then the angel attacks her and starts devouring her. Yeah. And then Ali lights it. Yeah. I mean, he, he takes the, he takes the lighter and I wasn't sure if he was going to do it. I think he, I think he would because he realized you could see it. Yeah. That like he wasn't attacking anybody. He wasn't doing all of this stuff and he was seeing what was happening around him. And then his father being shot for standing up for what was right. Yeah. That he realized his dad was really looking out for his best interest. Yeah. His son took him to the beach so that they could stare out the water and see yeah. the horizon together. And his father falls over and dies before he does. Well, they always pray towards the east, so mm-hmm. they were they had to go to, and they they were praying together. Yeah. So he he also in many respects came back home. Yeah. But that um, that scene with Aaron, where the the angel was eating her. Mm-hmm. Um, I I had seen this in in another interview. That you know, it was a very sensual scene, mm-hmm. and really, every time that you do see the angel eating someone, even even with Riley, it was violent, right? But there was, it's it. What am I trying to say here? It's it's just it's a violation of of them, and he's taking pleasure in it, mm-hmm. and he's so consumed by his pleasure that he doesn't f- realize or feel anything else. It's just. The desire overwhelms. Yeah. yeah. And the the scene just got to me. And <sighs> and when she's dying, she's seeing Riley and they're having the conversation. Well, the the scene itself, right? She, she was, at first, she had a lot of fear, mm-hmm. right? She was in a lot of pain. And when, when he was about to, uh, you know, clamp on her neck... She was doing everything. She was screaming. She was kicking. She was trying to do everything. Well, yeah, to everything get away. to get away. And then at a certain point, she then changes, and then realizes, okay, I can try to to cut his wings so that he doesn't fly away. And that's that's where she took power back from him, mm-hmm. right? So he she wasn't struggling anymore 
yes, she was dying, but she still had found the strength to to clip his wings, if you will. Yeah. To save other people. Again, the sacrifice. I mean, they all knew when they were getting the gas cans filled to burn the boats. They knew they weren't yeah. getting out of there. They all said, you know, you think the kids made it because that was their biggest concern is to save the two innocent. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, so are we, are we good covering the episodes? Cause we're, I apologize folks. It's going to be a long episode. Yeah. Are we ready to go right into the, the rest of our stuff? Yes, we are. So when we first saw this, it, yeah, it was slow. Oh my God, was it slow? But, um, it is actually the slowness is the major character in this film as well because it it does personify life in a small fishing island town. Yeah, I mean, there's I, nothing to do. It's it is a slow paced thing, and we're New Yorkers, so I'm like, oh my God, yeah, go, yeah. <laughs> but it gives you time to really reflect on everything that's going on, right? Yeah, I think this the pacing was exactly what it needed to be. Yeah. So so that's so that's that and. I think the other big thing here is that it shows how religion can be taken and twisted and perverted to use for their for for people to use for their own personal gain. Yeah, I mean, look, the Bible was translated, you know, I don't I don't know how many times it's been translated. I'm not a, a scholar on this. I just know that I've read it cover to cover. Yeah. I went to Catholic school my whole life and to me, it has never been a you must be literal for every step of the way in your life. It is meant to be a guide through your life. Yeah. I also understand that the only way history was passed down was from stories. We all know that when a game of telephone happens, I could sit there and start at the beginning of the telephone line saying, I went to see a movie last Saturday. And by the time I'm done, it's I went to see a movie with my friends and my family last Saturday and we got out late and something else happened. Right. It's just the nature of how our brains process we, things and how we interpret it and how we interpret it maybe somebody thought how oh, we know kimberly is under you know 18 so she'd have to go with her friends and family you know they make assumptions and they fill in gaps and that's just the way our brain right. works and even when you make that instruction to to listen carefully and and recite exactly what you hear yeah it still it it still transforms at the at the end because like you said it's going to be different. Yeah, and then when you bring in other languages and you bring in translations, and then you bring in who orders the translations, like King James, there's a distinct reason. Yeah. You know, we don't know what they were thinking when they did it, yeah. so we don't know what the reasoning behind it was. Yeah. So as far as I believe, the the Bible is meant to be a guide and interpreted for your life. It is not meant to be spouted off like Bev with hollow nothingness behind it it is meant to be utilized to put substance behind things right and i'm I'm also gonna just jump right into the fact that unless you want to go about what well the message being twisted and contorted you had brought that up earlier so if you wanted to finish with that no i just it it just highlights how there are there are people who have a different agenda and then they they take something that's supposed to be good mm-hmm for everybody, and they just they use it to their advantage so that they get the most out of it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's almost blasphemous if you think about it, because Midnight Mass is basically showing us when people contort belief systems into you know current politicians, organizations, 
you know, picking and choosing, doing the laws like what they're doing in Texas right now. And yes, I will bring up abortion laws, but men and, and all of these people are saying, no, you will not do that. It is against this. It is not your choice, blah, 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 blah. And the fact is the Bible stipulates you have free will to make the right choice or not. Yeah. End of discussion. You know, it's really, it's not about you. So when you use religion to manipulate, contort, and force people into what your belief system is, you're denying them their free will. You're denying them their ability to learn and to grow and their ability to be Christ-like. You're, you're basically telling them they must live in your image and likeness, not God's image and likeness. Right. And by doing that, when, when Bev picks and chooses all of these, these phrases in, in these quotes in these passages, they ring so hollow to me because her actions are cowardice. Her and, actions are absolutely the opposite of what she's saying. Yeah. And I couldn't stand it every time that she spoke. I'm like, oh, just shut up. Just, but kudos to the actress, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, no, my she's, God. I mean, the fact that we hated her so much is, is great because <laughs> right. that meant she did an amazing job. Right. But it, it just, her actions spoke louder than words. If you have to start spouting religious passages to me to prove your point, you've lost your point. Yeah. Because if your actions are, you know, married five times, don't care if your mother dies, all of this stuff, and then you tell me that I can't marry you because it goes against the Bible and it goes against the Word of God. I've been with you for 20 years. Yep. We are faithful to one another. Love and compassion are the greatest, powerful, most amazing things in this world. And if you deny someone the right to do that, then you're you're not Christ-like, in my humble opinion. Right. You're you're violating someone else's right to be happy, to live their own lives. And you know, you you mentioned this that that really everybody was violated mm-hmm. in in this in this uh, in this production in the story. It's just how it's how you then get up from that, right? We were just talking about Aaron, who was violated, yeah, and she found the strength to to try to take that power back to to hurt the angel so that he wouldn't hurt anybody else and have difficulty flying away, mm-hmm. right? Uh, I was trying to think of someone else because we were ta- we were talking about this earlier, and I can't. Well, remember I mean. Else. The Monsignor Pruitt violated everybody's free will by giving them the sacrament without their permission, not asking them what they wanted. Bev violates, um, you know, she's a murderer. Yeah. You know, part of the bad. We'll just, you know, I'm just going to insert the bad here because I'm, I know we have other things to discuss, but just because, you know, Pike did need to die and we're, we're never told who. But we know we, we have a very, very strong inkling that it is Bev. Right, because she she doesn't like she doesn't like uh, Joe, right? No, and she thinks that the dog is a nuisance, and that was very clear. With the, oh yeah, the but it's a puppy. It doesn't matter. It did nothing to her. She does not like anybody who goes against her. Yeah, well, she got hers. Yeah, she did. Um, okay, so let's move on to the uh, the symbolism then of of this. I I thought there were going to be 10 episodes in this in Well, this because series, the others were 10. Because the others were 10. And it was seven. And then it was part of the Bible. And then um, in Riley's room, you saw the poster of seven. For the seven deadly sins. For the seven deadly sins. So, like, the number seven is, like, everywhere here, just like it is in the Bible. And um, from what I remember, and I, I 
remember very little, but the seven seemed to um, indicate like perfection, right? God created God created the the world in in six days, and on the seventh day he rested. I think that um, because of the car crash, right? Riley here is the seeker. He he searches for the truth, and he's actually the one who's thinking outside of everything else. He's been away from all of this, and so he's he's the one who is trying to figure everything out, mm-hmm. and was able to actually get the word out to try to save everybody else in the world by with Aaron and every and Sarah, like trying to keep all of the the people who drank the Kool Aid in Crockett Island. I yeah. thought that was also fascinating. Yeah, that's a good that's a good point. Good catch. For me, I felt the entire series was purgatory. They're cut off from the mainland, they're cut off from other people. They're all sort of stuck. Uh Lisa's stuck in a chair and she's stuck behind the hatred she has for somebody. Um Joe is stuck because he feels guilty for what he did to her. Um Monsignor Pruitt doesn't want to accept that he can't live forever. That he yeah. couldn't have the life he wanted. Bev is literally stuck thinking she wants power and all of this other stuff. Um, well, she could control it before. Yeah. So it feels to me like everyone is stuff, stuck in the in-between. They've got the mainland and nothing. I yeah, mean, that, the ocean is nothingness. Yeah, that's actually a fascinating thing. Um, you know, those who have faced what they've done, you know, deal with the anger in their hearts, ask for forgiveness or grant forgiveness yeah and accept what they cannot change within themselves it's like the serenity prayer it's like accept what you cannot change every single person who followed that prayer and accepted it and moved on and and spread their example and their goodness and their their compassion and their love yeah every one of those people when they passed was peaceful they looked peaceful even when um the, the daughter spits out the blood from from Sarah. Sarah when she splits out the blood from Monsignor Pruitt's wrist, she looks at her mother and she's like focused there, and it's like she's at peace with what happened. They all understood what was going on. Yeah, um, Hassan and Ali are praying at the beach. Yeah, all of the other people who turn around and realize what they've done, realize the choices they've made, they are accepting that they're going to die now and they're, they're they're going to face judgment and they forgive each other. I don't know how far it goes. Yeah. Because you know, it's, I mean, I'm not higher being, but they accept where they are and they accept what they've done when they're facing their death. Yeah. The only person who screams and who's afraid is Bev. Is Bev. Yeah. Because she, she thought that she would be on top of everybody. And yeah. She, she thought she was better. She had, um, she had no, compassion no love yeah and that's why in the end she's by herself because no one wanted to be with her she attacked differences she hated things that were different she hated people that were different you know forgiveness basically gives peace love and compassion makes us human you know differences make us rich yep and when people started seeing that even if it was in those last few minutes coming to the realization of what they had done and accepting because you know things happen yeah i understand this is you know, a, a series, but all of them kind of just go. So like even Ed and Annie, right? When, when the end was near, they started singing mm-hmm. and it was, it was a way to, to, it actually brought the community back in a weird way, right? Because then they all started singing. 
But it was also their choice. She wasn't leading them to slaughter. She was leading them to salvation. Yeah, because there was no other place to go. Yeah. They, that's, that was their fate. And Kindness they, is free. Oh. Hatred is expensive. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Okay. But yeah. Oh, that was a lot. Yeah. Okay. So we, we mentioned the bad. Yeah. We, uh, this is a very dark series, so there's not really a lot of cute here. No. I really love the puppy, though. Yeah. Oh. Very angry about that. So, okay. So that is our very long discussion of Midnight Mass. Whew. So now, it long. Is, yes, it is time for our Forever Fangirls rating. So, drum roll, please. Okay, we rate Midnight Mass four stars. Yeah, I mean, it's slow. It's meant to be. Uh, it's not Bly Manor. It was its own heartbreak of making choices that were supposed to help, not hurt. You know, the road to hell is paved with good intention. Yeah. I thought that was very prominent throughout. Um, it's about forgiveness and love and and finally making the most difficult decision because difficult decisions will lead you to some sort of salvation. And I don't like to necessarily use that word, but it's like, again, hate is expensive. Forgiveness is free. Yeah. You know, forgive yourself, forgive others, treat yourself kindly. Yeah. You know, accept your mistakes, accept what you cannot control. And I keep going back to the serenity prayer, but it's like literally that's, it feels like this entire series is about that prayer. Yeah. And I, and I absolutely agree. You know, it's not Bly Matter. I, I alluded to this that in the first time through, I was like, oh my God, just get to the point, right? But like life, it, it's really not the destination, but the journey. And as, as I rewatched it, there was just so many things that I missed the first time through. And, you know, as our discussion shows, there's a lot there. Yeah. And there's just so many layers in this miniseries. And Mike Flanagan, again, just, he just delivers yet another very thought-provoking story. 100%. So. Okay. All right. So. <laughs> okay, then. That is going to be our show for today, folks. Uh, I just want to thank everybody for joining us. Were there any key moments that we, we should have brought up that we missed that you want to discuss? Just let us know by leaving us a voicemail at speakpipe.com forward slash forever fangirls podcast. And if you're listening to this podcast on your smartphone, please be sure to hit the little subscribe button so you don't miss an episode and uh, leave us a review of the episode and let us know what you think. Yes. And so until next time, stay safe, be kind, and remember... We have free will to make choices for ourselves. And when those choices hurt others, we need to find the courage to admit that and ask for forgiveness. In turn, those who are wrong need to find the grace to forgive and move on. After all, we're only human. <laughs>